Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. Join us for today's episode 84 with Jim Bob Williams, Dutch Martin, and Katie B. All right. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the AATH Laugh Box Podcast. Yay! Okay. I'm Jim Bob Williams, and this is Katie B. With our special guest, Dutch Martin. That's right. Hello, 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 and hello. All right. Well, Dutch is no stranger to the podcast business. Uh, Dutch has been on Lead with Levity by Heather Walker. And actually, when I heard your your podcast with Heather, I said, wow. <laughs> I said, we got to have Dutch on, on Laughbox. Also been following you from afar, uh, just watching your progress as you go through AATH and your stand-up career. And uh, now you're a licensed hypnotist? Correct. Okay. So let me ask you this, all right? When did you know that humor was, for you, was going to be more than just a hobby or entertainment? Well, I've been a member of Toastmasters for about five, um, going on six years. And I've been competing in the international speech contest since 2017. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I did very well, but I made it all the way up to the district championship in 2017 and 2018 only to play second. And then I realized something. I said, you know what? The one thing that separates the, the good speakers from the great speakers from the ones who win and go on to the next level is those speakers are able to add humor mm. to their speeches. And I saw the effect that splicing humor throughout their speech and in, in, in well-placed, well-timed ways had an amazing effect on the audience. I said, okay, well, I need to crack this code. So in the fall and winter of 2018, 2019, I took a couple of improv classes at the DC Improv Comedy Club because I live just outside DC in Northern Virginia. Absolutely loved it. Now their level one stand-up comedy class is one of the hardest classes to get into. There's always a waiting list. So I begged and pleaded with the director of the uh, their comedy school. I said, hey, I just finished two improv classes. So she let me in. So I took my first class in stand-up comedy, learned a lot from that. Then I began to take more classes in stand-up comedy uh, during that time in uh, early 2019. And I was just learning and learning about how to add humor, how to inject comedy into my speeches and just learning joke structure. And then it finally hit me. 2019, I gave my, um, I competed again in the uh, international speech contest with a speech called A Sense of Urgency, where I talk about how I memorized all 206 bones of the human body in three days when I was in junior high school. Hmm. And learning the tools of humor and comedy finally put me over the top that year. Not only did I place first in my district, but I was first runner up in the regional quarterfinals to the gentleman who ultimately went on to win the world championship mm. in 2019, Aaron Beverly. But by that time, I'd already been bitten by the comedy bug, and I loved that. I was taking comedy courses all over D.C. with uh, comedy coaches and comedians performing on stage, you know, doing open mics, uh, bombing horrifically in open mics, which is, of course, <laughs> a rites of passage. And then, you know, in 2019, I'm sorry, in 2020, 
you know, the world plunged into what I like to call a bad Alfred Hitchcock movie turned Netflix miniseries <laughs> named COVID-19. So everything went underground. And it made me realize, it, it reminded me of something that happened uh, a decade before during the, uh, the real estate crash. And it, it made me uh, realize again that, you know, there's no such thing as job security. Mm -hmm. uh, although I was working, I was working uh, for a government contract. I'm still working today. Still got my nine to five. Very happy about that. But I realized it's all the things that I wanted to do to pursue, you know, which costs money. But I'll put it off because I said, oh, I don't, I don't have the time or the money. I said, now, you know what? Screw it. Tomorrow is not promised. Nobody saw this global pandemic coming. No one saw it coming. So <clears throat> I dove into... Um, online comedy courses and workshops from some of the top comedians and comedy coaches in the country. I'm talking about Jerry Corley out of uh, Burbank, California, also known as the Joke Doctor. He, he was the lead writer for eight years for The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Uh, Greg Dean, uh, Dave Schwenson, who worked with Bud Friedman, the founder of the uh, New York Improv. And I just started taking these online courses and learning comedy structure, joke structure, and just, it was just like a treasure trove of information. Then I came across AATH and I found, I discovered that I could become a certified humor professional. And then looking back on my life, I looked at instances in my life to where when I told a joke, even using the techniques that I know now that I didn't realize I was using then, when all the pieces were in place, I can remember the laughter was like a volcano exploding. <laughs> I mean, it was just in, in my professional life, among friends. And I realized, you know what? I'm, I'm really digging this whole comedy thing. And of course, you know, you, you, you do your research on, you know, the, the, the social and professional and physical fitness and health and wellness benefits of humor. An excellent book I read called The Laughing Cure by Dr. Brian King. Yeah. He's a psychologist and stand-up comedian and a friend of mine on Facebook. Shout out to Dr. King. <laughs> And he talked about the benefits of laughter and humor. And here's what he, what really stood out to me, that when we laugh, not only do, does it cause our brains to secrete all of those feel-good hormones, oxytocin among others, but it also causes, laughter also causes the brain to release what's called NK cells, natural killer cells, cancer-fighting cells. So much so that the Cancer Treatment Centers of America are hip to this, and now they have humor therapy as a part of their overall holistic treatment. I was absolutely floored by that. And so now I'm making a point to uh, inject laughter in pretty much every aspect of my day if possible, even at my current place of employment. I gave that speech when I was uh, hired last fall, and as a result, I've I've been, uh, I've had speaking opportunities with my current employer and uh, their project management courses, being the facilitator and so on and so forth. So it has definitely opened doors for me. Talk a little bit about how you're using uh, humor at work. Because project management, I was an engineer for 35 years, and project managers were not known for their sense of humor. Okay. Project managers were, I mean, they were pretty. Mm, uh, well, you're right. And 
I work for um, a consulting firm whose client is a defense agency within the, de the Department of Defense. Mm. And you deal with a lot of people who are either current or retired military. The thing about humor is that as long as it's well-placed and appropriate and well-timed, it can work. And I've done my research on that as well. It has to be appropriate. Yeah. It has to be well-placed and well-timed. So during online Zoom meetings, um, I'll, you know, I'll make a joke or say something humorous. And it's humorous in a, in a way that everyone can relate to. Because my type of humor is the type of stuff that everyone can relate to, such as, you know, uh, how hard it is to lose weight when you cross 40. <laughs> everyone who's over 40 can relate to that. Or, you know, uh, you know, uh, oh, those aren't muscles, those are stretch marks, that type of thing. <laughs> you know, um, you know, things that most adults can definitely relate to and that, that land. And, and it got to the point where at the beginning where my project lead, again, he's retired military. He, um, he would say, okay, Dutch, to end the meeting, uh, do you have a joke for us? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> All right, so that let me know, okay, I, I guess yeah. it's working. And then the, you know, the project management courses that new hire, you know, hires, you know, um, government employees and, and uh, contractors had to take, <clears throat> that happened because the, um, the lady who, is in charge of the uh, training office for this uh, defense agency. She approached me several months ago. She says, Dutch, I saw your online, um, I saw online during the big all hands meeting back in December where you gave your, uh, your speech on the bones. I really loved it. <laughs> and so we were thinking, you know what, at the end of our project management course, it's a five day course. We like to have a little panel discussion where we invite high level military folk and we'll ask them some questions. We need a facilitator. And based upon what we saw, we think you would be great for this position. I said, absolutely. So I did it for both the PM1 and PM2 courses. And here's the thing. One reason why the bone speech really resonated is because the prime, the consulting firm, that's like the prime contractor, because my, my company that I work for is the sub, mm -hmm. the prime, uh, the project lead, he's a, he's a medical doctor. Okay. So when you when you give a humorous speech about the bones of the body, let's just say it landed with him. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it's like when. Okay. So and uh, yeah, well, like I said, if, as long as it's as long as the humor is appropriate, well planned, well timed, <laughs> and um, I, I gave one example. I said, you know, um, and I would give two serious questions that were already prepared based upon the course. And then I would put a comedic spin on the third one. Like for example, a researcher who, uh, she was on the panel and I said, because she, she deals with biosecurity type of things mm -hmm. that this office uh, is involved with. I said, ma'am, here's a question I have for you. Um, it has been determined that flies, the fly is able to transmit DNA evidence from a crime scene but the trick is trying to convince that fly to testify in court. <laughs> so how would you convince that fly to testify in court? That, that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> I got a huge laugh. <laughs> and then she even put her own improv hat on. She said, well, I would bribe the fly with some money, this, that, and the other. I said, okay, <laughs> that's good, you know? 
and and when you yeah. do that, you know, when a joke lands like that yeah. with a high level government official, especially someone affiliated with the Department of Defense, mm-hmm. that's a win. But when that person laughs or is in on the joke, it gives everybody else permission to lighten up and laugh yeah. even yeah. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just takes all the tension out of the room. Absolutely. Everybody Indeed. in the meeting gets to bond. And, and as you know, I mean, for those who have served in the military, you know, I, I work with military people because I used to work for the State Department. I, I lived and worked overseas. You know, our military, yes, they're, they're, they're some of the toughest human beings walking the face of the earth, but they also have some of the most wicked senses of humor yeah. <laughs> once you get to know them. <laughs> you talk to an army grunt or, or, an, or a navy guy or a marine, and, and uh, you you know you get a couple of beers in them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Katie, do you have any questions for Gush? You mentioned your bones speech. We could share a little bit of that speech here. I'd be more than happy to. Okay. Uh, and you know, truth be told, when I was rehearsing for that speech, um, preparing for it, I had, you know, given the speech and get, gotten feedback from various Toastmasters clubs and you know, served as a model speaker for like evaluation contests, yep. got extra feedback. And, and I was, as I was preparing for the international speech contest for that year, you know, advancing from the club to the area division, I was, I had rehearsed that speech thousands of times. Yeah. I would run errands. I would, you know, be driving around my, my neighborhood. I would have my son who was about uh, seven or eight years old uh, in the back seat, and I'll be rehearsing the speech. And it's funny if for some reason I forgot a passage or a sentence in the speech, my son remembered it. <gasps> oh, that's great. So I will hurt that speech so, so many times that even my son knew it. <laughs> How crazy is that? Wow. Okay. So here's a little bit of your speech. First sense of urgency. I'm going to learn all the bones of the body. This is how I'm going to get kids to like me. <laughs> now, before the age of the internet, there was the age of the encyclopedia. <laughs> My grandmother had a vintage volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Vintage, untouched, and never opened. <laughs> the first time I opened them, a big puff of dust hit me in the face. But I was determined. For the next three days, I studied the bones of the body like I was trying to get into medical school. I drew pictures of the bones that would have made Vincent Van Gogh cut off his other ear. (laughs) I took copious notes years before I even knew what the word copious meant. (laughs) Monday morning rolls around, Mr. Ezell asks for a volunteer. I raise my hand. Now, at first he hesitated because I was the new kid, but you know, like the Cleveland Browns, he was desperate for a win, so he said, okay. Uh-huh. Walk to the front of the class next to the six foot long poster of the skeletal system. He gives me the little pointing thingy. I take a deep breath and go for broke. Phalanges, metatarsals, talus, tibia, fibula, patella, femur, the lumbopelvic hip complex consisting of the sacroiliacs, hip coccyx, and ilium. Phalanges of the hand, metacarpals, carpals, radius, ulna, 
<laughs> humorous. <laughs> Scapula, clavicle, sternum, ribcage. The bones of the skull, my dude behind me, consist of the mandible or jawbone, the maxilla. The three smallest bones in the body located inside the ear are the malleus, incus, and stapes. Moving on up, we have the frontal eminence, parietal eminence, the temporal bones, and the occipital protuberance. So that was amazing. That was that's so much. That's difficult. I know how difficult that is and very impressive. I appreciate that. But you know, it's funny because sometimes there are events that happen in your life such that you never forget them. Mm. You could be 99.9 years old on your deathbed and you'll, you'll still remember like it was yesterday. Yeah. I still remember sitting down at my grandmother's uh, dining room table with the encyclopedias opened up, you know, S, the skeletal system. And I remember those vivid colored pictures of the different bones of the body. And I'm drawing pictures of them. I'm labeling them. I'm, I'm doing everything my little sixth grade mind needed to do to memorize um, the bones. And then Monday morning, and as you all saw, uh, I enacted how my science teacher reacted to the rest of the class. <laughs> Again, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Um, and so how did that help you in your yoga teacher training? Well, for me, repetition, definitely repetition. Um, because when you become a yoga instructor, you have to, you know, remember you know, each yoga pose, the importance of each yoga pose, <clears throat> the anatomy of it, the alignment, how to cue the pose and then tune from one pose to the next, um, focusing on your breath, so on and so forth. But me as a speaker, it all just comes so naturally because I love, I love public speaking and it just, it just flows beautifully. Now, over the past year or so, what I have known, even longer than that, even before the pandemic, I started adding little elements of humor when I teach my yoga classes, which has even made my classes that much more popular. Because before, when I began teaching yoga, I was very motivational, very, you know, which I still am, because I used to listen to a lot of Les Brown videos on YouTube. And you know, I would be, I would always have a very motivational and inspirational message, which, which my students appreciated. And then I started adding little elements of humor in my classes, especially like during the middle part of the class where by this time everybody's sweating bullets. Um, most of the time it's a hot yoga class and people are spent and I'll have them in a type of restorative pose and I'll make a joke and it just, people just laugh and it just releases the tension that much more. Very nice. And hyp hypnosis? Well, I have always been fascinated with how the mind works, particularly how we can basically not only take charge of our subconscious minds, but use the power of our subconscious minds to rewrite the stories we tell ourselves. <clears throat> also, during the pandemic, I developed an interest in studying NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Yep. So I took courses in that. I'm currently finishing up a certification, um, practitioner certification in NLP through an organization out of California. <clears throat> and so I studied NLP, been studying it, absolutely love it. It's just about language patterns, how we talk to ourselves, mm -hmm. how we reframe things, how we look at how, we, how we're able to shift our paradigm, how we're able to 
set a positive frame for our life and then future pace it out, that sort of thing. My yoga journey, my yoga path that only complements that. When you're able to take charge of your subconscious mind, you can literally not just rewrite the story you tell yourself, but you can write you can write your own bestseller for the rest of your life. I mean, when you shift your paradigm on that positive wavelength, you can literally make magic happen. Absolutely. And for listeners of the podcast, uh, although Dutch has experienced in her Moses and Katie's experience in NLP, when this podcast is over, if you find yourself uh, talking like a chicken, uh, call us and uh, we'll get you reprogrammed. Page and Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you are a Toastmaster. And how long have you been doing that? I've been a member of Toastmasters in August. It'll be six years. Wow. I came across Toastmasters because I said, wow, an organization for people like me who like to talk? Win! <laughs> so I joined Toastmasters, and it's been a such a, a blessing in my life, professionally and personally. Yeah, Finding the tribe of people. Yeah, there's an overlap in the Venn diagrams between Toastmasters <laughs> and AATH. I was a Toastmaster for 30 years because I well, uh, I got it started doing it at work. Okay, to improve presentation skills. But then since then, I've found a lot of people in AATH who've, you know, got their start in Toastmasters. And some people in improv, you know, table topics where you have to answer a question off the top of your head and is a wonderful improv exercise. Absolutely. I mean, it, that, that's improv right there. Impromptu yeah. speaking, definitely. I mean, that's, you talk about having to think, think on your feet. Oh, yeah, that's, that's exactly what table topics do. <laughs> yeah. but I, I love those masters. It always seemed to be that the table topics uh, contests at the area of this level, they always went to the person who gave the funny answer. Not <laughs> Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, when you can make people laugh, you cause them to lean in mm -hmm. as opposed to sit back. Yeah. They, I mean, it's like if you're a fisherman, and you, you send that 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 laughter bit out there and they get hooked in and you you can literally have the audience in the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can take them on an amazing journey when you can add those little elements of humor at the right time, at the right place. Oh man. I've I've seen it, I've been on the end of it. My my bone speech, I I performed that speech um in our district 27 2019 conference that I packed ballroom at a hotel mm. and the energy i got from the crowd when i was hitting those laughter points oh my gosh mm. there, there, there's just nothing yeah. like it i mean even when when my speech was done i knew i won i knew i i knew i nailed it i knew yeah. it that's awesome so tell us about your family dutch you have a special well, family yes i've been married almost 19 years my wife is a lovely wife she's from morocco now English is not her first language. In fact, she speaks three languages. She speaks French, Arabic, and just like my mother. Um, <laughs> but no, she, she's a wonderful woman. I mean, she's tolerated me for all these years. And we have an 11-year-old son named Luther. Great kid. Love my son to death. Um, there are three things that my son actually loves more than his old man. Um, his mom, hash browns, and Chick-fil-A sauce. But they can't really hold that against him. <laughs> 
He's a great kid. So how did you meet your Moroccan wife? Well, I was a, I was a foreign service officer, which is another way of saying U.S. diplomat for the Department of State. My second overseas assignment was in Morocco from 2002 to 2004. My first was in the Central African Republic. I survived a military coup in CR. So they wow. said, you have a choice. <clears throat> now you can go to a cushy post. You're going to go to The Hague or Rabat, Morocco. I chose Morocco. I'm glad I did. I met my wife there. We were married in October of 2003. She, at the time, she was a paralegal for a, an, an attorney in Morocco. So we were married in October 2003, and we've been married ever since. Our son was born New Year's Day 2011. And, uh, you know, as any marriage, you know, ups and downs, trials and tribulations, but we've hung in there. And you know, they, they are the reason why I grind as hard as I do. And so I'm guessing that you speak shwia shwia Arabic. Eh, shwia, a little bit of Arabic. Here's <laughs> the thing. Um, I studied a little bit of you know Arabic um, in the Foreign Service. Uh, don't remember much of it, but in terms of Moroccan Arabic, I know when my wife's cussing me out. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize every word. <laughs> Well, in Shahala, that doesn't happen too much. I know it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> if God she wills, she doesn't when, do it too much. Only when she can't get her way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so growing up, you had a single mom? Yes. I'm born the youngest of uh, six children. My mother was married and divorced several times. <clears throat> and, you know, we grew up poor, deprived, that sort of thing, but I didn't really think of it that way. You know, the best thing my mom did was stress the importance of education. So she kept my head in the books. And she, one thing my mom did was, uh, she kind of made it hard for me to, to make friends because she, she stressed perfect English grammar. So unlike the other black kids I grew up with, English is actually my first language. <laughs> those who kind of get that joke but yeah she stressed education you know she wanted me to uh you know not make the same mistakes that my older siblings made and you know i kept my head in the books and you know i did you know i did well in school and and i was able to uh do i mean i graduated at the top of my class in high school first black male to do so in, in the history of my high school which was cool wow uh, became the first college graduate in my family went on to earn a master's degree and do a lot of cool things in my life. So, yeah, I was able to use, um, you know, education. You know, unlike Jim Bob, I couldn't use my good looks to get ahead in life. So I had to really work really, really, really hard academically to uh, rise above my humble beginnings. So how many languages do you speak? <clears throat> well, and congratulations. Wait, I want to say congratulations on your high school career, your master's degree, and all of that. Thank you. Well, I speak French uh, conversationally. Um, that's the only foreign language that I speak as fluently as I do. Um, I can understand Moroccan Arabic when it's spoken because I hear certain words and, and, and certain inflection points. And I can, I can say, I can tell my wife when we're out in D.C. at the Smithsonian or the Washington Mall, you know, if, if I hear Moroccan Arabic from a Moroccan person or a couple at a, at a hot dog stand, I can say, uh, yeah, they're, they're Moroccan. Of course, my wife knows this immediately. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> But yeah, I, I speak French, and in fact, I have a, I uh, my last uh, open mic, I did a stand up bit 
on uh, the similarities between French and English. And there are words in both languages that look the same, but mean different things. They're called false friends. And I, I created this, uh, you know, seven minute stand up, uh, five minute stand up bit on this whole idea of, you know, misunderstandings in between the French and English language. And here in the Washington DC area, you know, people who are, there's a multilingual community yeah. here. So I, I figured, I said, okay, it, it will land. But the first time I performed it, I had no idea how, how, how much people took to it because it's funny because you say something in French, the French speakers get the joke before the English speakers do. <laughs> That's right. So it's yep. that double laugh. It, it, it's like that, that, that chain reaction of laughter. Yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it, it was great. So. <laughs> how do we as trying to be funny people, bonding people, deal with cultural differences? That's a very good question. And I would say partly, as long as you know that your heart's in the right place, then it's okay to err. Because look, we don't know what we don't know. Right. I mean, Arab culture is different than Francophone culture. Mm -hmm. And that's for a variety of reasons. You know, that said, you know, my thing is this, I'm all for people making mistakes in foreign languages because that's how you learn. That's how you get better. And as long as you approach it with a, with a, uh, with a spirit of humility, nine times out of 10, all, all will be forgiven because like, for example, you know, Arab speakers or French speakers, when they come across Americans who, who are trying to speak their language or their dialect, they know we're going to screw it up. They know we're going to botch it. That's right. They get a laugh out of it. Yeah. And, but they appreciate the effort that we uh, put forth into it. I mean, and some of the linguistic faux pas that I've met over the years in French have caused me to make a lot of friends. I mean, picture this. Yep. Um, one, two of my overseas tours as a, as a U.S. diplomat were in Sub-Saharan Africa. First in the Central African Republic, and my last one was in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire. You know, imagine being a black American in Africa, in Sub-Saharan Africa. All the um, all the African street kids called me Wesley Snipes. You know what? I cannot. <laughs> I can nod my head like I understand, and I don't. So Dutch, can you <laughs> can you I mean, tell us? <laughs> you know what? Because you know, here in the United States, a lot of African Americans they have this romanticized view of Africa. Mm. Number one, they think it's a country, and I have to remind them, no, Africa is not a country, it's a continent. <laughs> made up of over 50 countries. In the north of Africa, it's Arab. Mm-hmm. South of the Sahara is black folk. Mm-hmm. Even further south, you got black, white, and Indian. That's South Africa, by the way. Yeah. Different languages, different dialects, different political ideologies, the whole nine. It's not hom- homogenous. Mm-hmm. So I went, you know, I, I went to Sub-Saharan Africa with that in mind. And I didn't try to insult anyone's intelligence. I said, hey, I'm in your land. I'm in your country. I'm in your backyard. Yes, I'm a black American. I'm here to learn from you. The friendships I made yeah. with my Central African brothers and sisters, my Ivorian brothers and sisters, friendships that i still have to this day thank you facebook i mean absolutely wonderful i mean i learned i mean they learned from me but i learned so much more from them 
I mean, when you have that spirit of I, having the spirit of a student mm-hmm. and one to one asking questions. And, and like I said, they want to know about us just mm-hmm. as much as we want to know about them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's wonderful. I mean, in my single days and my first overseas tour in the Central African Republic, I, you know, I wasn't married. I was single. I mean, I went out to the local clubs with my boys. I mean, we, we tore the town up, had a great time had a ball. I mean, everyone knew that I was, you know, le vice-consul de l'ambassade des États-Unis. Everybody knew I was the U.S. vice consul, so I couldn't get into too much trouble. Yeah. For obvious right. reasons. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had a, I said, no, uh, I'm like, Serge, keep the hooker in your room. <laughs> and come here. Okay. I, you know, the regional security officer might come. I, you know how it is. That sort of thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just had a wonderful time. I mean, and you know, just just you know, my 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 French language skills improved because I used French every single day. And like I said, the mistakes were just absolutely hilarious. I mean, there there was my my favorite linguistic faux pas is the le- the letter Q in English. And the French word Q. Now, the French letter is also pronounced Q, but it's synonymous with the French word Q. Let me explain. The secretary, the Central African secretary at the U.S. Embassy, I was told this story by uh, a member of our local staff, and the rest of the staff corroborated it to uproarious laughter. The secretary of the... uh, U.S. Embassy in Bangui, who was the the ambassador secretary. She was a Central African woman. Her husband was a Central African government minister. So she pulled a lot of weight among the locally engaged staff. So nobody would dare laugh at her to her face. So she noticed she was typing on her keyboard and she noticed that the little Q on her keyboard didn't work. So she calls one of the IT guys, one of the Central African IT technicians, and he says, we met him. What's wrong, ma'am? She says, yeah, uh, in English... It would, it would translate, my Q doesn't work, or the letter Q on my keyboard doesn't work. But in French, she said, mon Q ne marche pas, which translates to, my ass doesn't work. <laughs> Needless to say, this poor IT guy almost had a heart attack. Like I said, nobody would dare laugh at this woman in her, to her face. No. But eventually... She got the joke. She realized that she messed up. Everybody got a big laugh out of it. And that's like, oh, my God, that is, from a humor standpoint, that is gold. Gold. That is manna from heaven. You love yes. stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> or, or, I mean, like, like in, in, in French, um, like this whole concept of false cognates or false friends. You know, words that look the same in English and French but mean different things. Like, say, for example, you, you take the, the English word preservative mm-hmm. and the French word preservative. Mm-hmm. Say, if you're at a restaurant, you want to eat organic. You ask the waiter, uh, do you have any food without preservatives? You don't want any colorings or any artificial mm-hmm. stuff. But if I say that in French, pardon, uh, est-ce que vous avez des plats sans preservative? Well, you just asked the waiter, do you have any food without condoms? <laughs> because that's what the word preservative means in French. Right. 
<laughs> that can be very confusing. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my, and, and you know that's going to be my humor project, by the way. Your your humor project. Your project yes. to be humor and language. Oh, absolutely! Oh my gosh! Oh, oh man! Just oh, okay. That's going to be. Trust me, when when I present that at the, at the conference in two years, oh. So, are you in the Humor Academy? Yes, I am. I'm in the Humor Academy. I'm in year two. You're in year two. Uh, okay. Yep. Uh, year one was a blast. Meeting everybody for the first time at the conference early on this year was an absolute blast. Yes. I mean, the best four-day four experience of my life. Absolutely loved it. Yes, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, laughter and humor are universal languages. That's right. You know, so we, we, we can share that. Everybody can share a good laugh. I mean, that, that is such a wonderful bonding experience that cuts across all political, racial, yeah. gender, economic differences. I mean, if, please, even members of Congress like a good laugh. Yeah. That's okay? right. Yeah. You know, everyone can use a good laugh every, every, every now and then. I know I, the FBI was, they were pretty easy to giggle when I clowned for them. Good. Yeah. So, okay. so I, yeah. I mean, those government officials, they can laugh. Yeah, and they need it. Trust yeah, me. Trust, as yeah. stressful as their job, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? Right. They need to laugh. They need yeah. to let all that, they need to let it out of the system. That's right. So, Jim Bob, you had some specific things well, you I'm, wanted to ask? Well, okay, we've talked about a little bit about the past, and we've talked a little about the present. Uh, let's, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Well, in five years, I don't, def I don't, I certainly don't see myself working a JLB for the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. I'm making plans to uh, transition into other areas. I, w I would love to see myself. No, I definitely see myself as a corporate comedian. Yeah. I would love to work as a comedian on the corporate market. Of course, as a certified human professional, as a speaker, because I feel that my, my most powerful tool is my voice, using my voice to connect with people to help people tap into their inner power and to help people break the shackles of fear, guilt, and shame so that they can live their version of an epic life. And epic is not just an adjective, it's, a, it's an acronym that stands for energy provides incentives to change. And I, I you know, my yoga teaching, my, my speaking, my humor is drenched in that philosophy of helping people break whatever shackles that are holding them back so that they can live the best, most epic version of their own lives, because that's what we're all supposed to do. So I want to create a platform to where I can do that full time, <clears throat> build a successful business by helping people do just that. That's I can amazing. see that happening. I can see that happening. I, I look at you and I say, there's a TED talk. I, say, I look at you, I say, there's uh, just listening to you. I go, yeah, you should be in voiceover work. Well, you know what? I'm actually uh, taking an online voiceover class now because mm -hmm. so many people have told me that. So I said, you know, let me see what this is all about. Oh, yeah. You could, you, you know, you start, start practicing with just voicing over random videos just for fun. See what you can do. Sure. And then you can start making voices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you said that when you were in the such uh, African Republic, you know, uh, the kids are thought you might, you know, you know, the only American that they, uh, black American they ever knew was Wesley Snipes. Okay. Yeah, based upon what they saw on television or 
their their pet name for me was American Noir, which is not <laughs> American. <laughs> American Noir. I American love Noir. It. <laughs> Hey, yeah, but all they ever saw was the movies, right? Yeah. 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 Movies, TV show, that sort of thing. I, I, it was cool. I'm like, hey, yeah. it's, it's all good. I've been called worse. <laughs> okay. So three actors are auditioning to do the Dutch Martin story. This is the biopic that's going to be done when you finally retire. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now you've got three, three of them audition and you've got to pick the one that's going to star. You got to pick the one that's going to be in the supporting cast. And you got to pick the one that's going to be, yeah, sorry, yeah, they're going to have to go back into summer stock. Okay. So, all right. So we've got Wesley Snipes. We've got Forrest Whitaker. We've got Samuel Jackson. Who's the star? Who's the uh, supporting actor? And who's going to have to go to summer stock? Oh, man. Jeez. Three of my favorite actors. I'm going to have to say the star will have to be Forrest Whitaker. I mean, one of the greatest character actors of this generation. I was so, so happy when he finally won the Oscar for the last King of Scotland. I mean, he's one of those, yeah. he's one of those character actors to where you never see him give a bad performance. That's right. He is always on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he's real. He's authentic. He's relatable. So I would love to have an actor of his caliber play me. Supporting role, I would say Wesley Snipes is like my, one of my older brothers, Keith, who in his prime was, you know, ripped and buffed and everything. And, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be ripped and buffed and everything too. So been a fan of his and Samuel L. Jackson, he can just be, he can direct it. You know, he can cuss, he can cuss, cuss at everybody and, you know, direct everyone to uh, act right. <laughs> so. He'll keep the other cast the crew in line. Eh? Right. All right. So what advice would you have for somebody starting out in funny business? Follow your heart, follow your passion, you know, uh, connect with, definitely connect with folks in the in, uh, AATH, the Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor, because you need to find your tribe, okay? If, if you if you want to start out in the funny business, know that there are other people like you. You're not an oddball. And even if you are an oddball, that's a good thing, because there are other oddballs out there, and being an oddball is not necessarily a bad thing. So connect with people who have the same interests and passions with you. In this case, definitely connect with folks in AATH. Uh, definitely join a Toastmasters club or two. Um, you surround yourself with people who are like-minded, who are going to support you, and who have your best interests at heart. Definitely. And and in the first year of the Humor Academy, which is part of AATH, how did you end up? How did you reach out? and get to know and network the other people that were in AATH that first year? Well, we kept, we kept in touch with each other, you know, through phone, text, uh, social media. Uh, we met every month for our uh, monthly meetings. We that's, the, up. that's the academy group. But what about other people within AATH? Did you reach out beyond the academy people? Well, um, once I joined AATH, I reached out to Jim Bob. He, he became uh, my mentor. So oh, I didn't know that. Yep, full disclosure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Pay, I'm not. He's not paying me. Full, one dis- full disclosure. Stick. Dutch does not need very much mentoring. He's got. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, he's, and he still hasn't bought me dinner, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, I see. But, so there's some unfinished business. Yeah. But yes, we yeah. got to meet at DCM Prop. That's yes, we do. Okay. <laughs> so 
I reached out and, you know, the uh, the monthly humor Zoomers uh, Zoom uh, meeting when I'm able to make those, I meet folks. But for me, the best thing was attending the conference. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, just being in a conference with so many like minded people from all over the world. Okay, now, uh, the date that we are recording this, uh, July 24th, uh, 2022, this happens to be National Tell an Old Joke Day. Oh. What's well, an old corny joke that you, you, it still works after all this time? Well, I, I, I have one that, um, yeah, it's kind of old, but not everyone's heard it. Okay, we all know, you know, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Why did the skeleton not cross the road? Why? He, Why? He, because he didn't have guts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I have one. What do you call a cow with no back legs? What do you call a cow with no back legs? An utter drag. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a more serious note, this is also the anniversary of the birth of Amelia Earhart. Ah. And remember, she tried to yep. fly the Pacific and uh, was lost to the world in 1935. And it's especially sad today, July 24th, 2022, because had she completed that flight, uh, her luggage would have arrived today. Because I was going to go off into, you know, Dutch, if you found yourself in the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> what it would you say? Hard. Uh, if I found myself in the Bermuda Triangle, I would say, you know what? I've never been good at math. <laughs> so you lost. notice ever since GPS come out, you, you don't hear about ships being lost in the Bermuda Triangle anymore. Oh, right. that's right. You know? Look, that's a good I'm, point. Okay. I was trying to help my son with like uh, his math homework. <laughs> like, you know, division, you know, the old school division. We write, yeah. stuff we, we write this little house. We put mm -hmm. the... The, the small number outside the house and the big number inside, this divided by this. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this anymore. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> here, Dad, he whipped out his little calculator. Dip, 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 dip. I'm like, ay, 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 ay. Yeah. <laughs> I am so old. The times have changed. I mean, have oh, you had God. to, I mean, he's 11. So have you had to do new math? Uh, you know what? Uh, no, you're talking about does. common core math, which is displaced new math. Oh, it's yeah. even worse than new math. Oh, no. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't do common core in this house. Okay. His, his, his teachers know. We do the standard stuff. All right. Okay, I don't even know what common core is. One plus one equals two. Right. <laughs> it doesn't equal the patriarchy. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think we're going to have to. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to have to sum up. Yeah. And yeah. maybe we can have you back for a part two. Absolutely. I'd be more than happy to. Yeah. Hey, you right. guys have an awesome day. You too. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode number 84 with Dutch Martin, Jim Bob Williams, and Katie B. This has been LaughBox, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for episode 84, and we'll see you next time.